If you have your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter number 6. Ephesians chapter number 6. We will be in the very last message in our journey through the book of Ephesians. Gospel truth that leads to gospel living. I trust that studying this book has been a blessing and a help to your life. What I really hope that you, you've gathered from this book is a greater appreciation for the gospel. A greater understanding of the gospel. I hope that, that you are now in your giving, your service to the Lord. I hope you are more motivated by the gospel to do those things than you've ever been before. Not motivated by guilt. Not motivated by tradition. Not motivated by, by, by the, the, the feeling that you have to do things in order to earn favor with God. I hope you're motivated by the fact that God changed your life by sending the Lord Jesus Christ and that means you owe him your everything. That's Paul's heart in this text. And so we're going to close it down in Ephesians chapter 6. Three verses today, verses 18 through 20. Follow along as I read. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly, to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Last week, we began this final section of Ephesians with teaching about the, the topic of spiritual warfare, spiritual battle. We learned last week that if you're a Christian, you are in a battle. You're in a battle every single day, which means you have a very real enemy, which this text calls the devil. The devil, listen, is not a figment of, of our imagination. The devil is real. The devil is strategic. The devil is powerful as he's amassed an army. Verse 12 of chapter 6 says that is made up of principalities and powers, rules of the darkness of this world, and spiritual wickedness in high places. Thus, Paul's main admonition to the church and the believers of Ephesus is this. Because you're in a battle, stand strong in the strength of the Lord. Christians shouldn't run from the battle. Christians should run to Christ to make them strong in the battle. As we learned last week, our standing strong begins with equipping ourselves with the armor of God. Strong Christians wear divine equipment. Believers should cover every part of their life with the gospel because where the gospel has fortified you, Satan cannot attack you. I imagine the reason Paul used a soldier's armor as a metaphor here is because while writing this very letter, he was chained to a Roman soldier. And sometimes the Holy Spirit uses the natural. He uses what we can see to, to, to teach us the supernatural, the divine. And that's what he did in Paul's life. So, so Paul would look upon the Roman soldier and, and he noticed that the Roman soldier was wearing a belt that held everything together. And he said, you know what? The Christian has a belt too. It's called the belt of truth. He knows the soldier has a breastplate and so do we, the breastplate of righteousness. He knows the soldier has shoes and so do we, shoes of gospel peace and so on. The shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. But this is where the metaphor of a soldier's armor comes to an end. But it's not where Paul stops in telling us how to stand strong in spiritual warfare. He's going to mention one weapon that every believer has, but it's not a weapon that the Roman soldier had. So he, he, he's done with the Roman soldier metaphor. 
And the weapon we have that the Roman soldier didn't have that he was chained to is prayer. You see, the Roman soldier couldn't cry out to Lord Caesar in the midst of the battle. But the believer can always cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of their battle. And this is the second way in which you and I can stand strong in spiritual warfare. First, you must equip yourself with the armor of God. But second today, you stand strong in spiritual warfare by dedicating yourself to prayer. You know what that means? It means strong Christians don't just wear divine equipment. It means strong Christians need divine energy which only comes through communion with God by way of prayer. Here's what I think is the burden of the text today Then we're going to study. If you want to stand in power, you must first kneel in prayer. I want you to write that down. I want you to remember that. That strong Christians fight their battles on their knees. I'm calling the message warfare prayer. You know what Fellowship Baptist Church needs? Hey, mom and dad, you know what your kids need? You know what we need around here? Real prayer warriors. And when I say prayer warriors, I'm not talking about some elite group of Christians in God's army that know how to articulate fancy prayers out loud. I think Paul's going to make it real clear that every Christian should be a prayer warrior. In fact, prayer is the only way in which you survive the battle. You can't fight well, Christian, until you learn how to pray well. You can't stand strong until you first knelt in prayer. And so Paul's going to tell us some characteristics of a real prayer warrior. He's going to tell us what warfare prayer looks like. Four things. Number one, warfare prayer never stops. Look at verse 18. I want you to say the second word of the verse out loud with me. Praying. Say it again. Praying. That seems like a very simple thought, but here's how our life can be described as Christians sometimes. Praying sometimes. And we know we're supposed to pray always. Pray without ceasing. But but really our life can be described as this, praying sometimes. And I thought, why is that? Here's why. Most of us would instantly think it's a discipline problem. But our prayerlessness has less to do with the lack of discipline and more to do with the lack of dependence upon God. That's the real problem. See, see, we are United States Americans. We pride ourselves in our independence. As a nation, we have the declaration of independence, the land of the free, the home of the brave. Men have fought for our freedom and we want to preserve our freedom. But that is totally opposite of how we're supposed to live our spiritual lives. And sometimes our patriotic uh, preferences end up flowing into our spiritual lives and we try to live our lives independent when really we're supposed to live our lives dependent upon our general, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what is our declaration of dependence? It's prayer. Every time we don't pray, we are declaring independence. We are saying we got this on our own. And I think that's the reason why we struggle to be dependent upon God in prayer. Now, listen, we don't struggle to be dependent upon God in prayer during the hard times. You know when we struggle? During the good times. We only tend to be prayer warriors when we're in a crisis. You've heard the old war slogan that says this, there are no atheists in a foxhole. You get what that's saying? When the bullets start flying, everybody starts praying. 
In, in, in other words, it's not really that impressive for a believer to become a prayer warrior when the bullets are flying in their life. Even a lost person, an unbeliever, will cry out to God when they're in trouble. Where most believers need to work on praying always is when everything's comfortable in their life. When everything's going as planned in their life. When everything's going well in their, in their life. And, and let's not forget the context that Paul told us to pray always in the midst of spiritual warfare. So it makes sense that, that we would get so comfortable when our life is going good that we stop praying. And when we stop praying, we become most prone and most vulnerable to Satan's attacks. So he says, pray always. Hey, not, not just when your life is in extreme trouble. The devil doesn't take a break just because you're doing good. Are you listening? Just because you're healthy today doesn't mean that you're not in a battle. Just because you're financially stable today doesn't mean you're not on the devil's radar anymore. Just because your marriage is strong today doesn't mean the devil isn't strategizing for how to attack it tomorrow. If you're a child of God, you should always be praying because you are always being opposed. In the bad times and in the good times. Therefore, church, learn to pray when, when the storm is raging, yes, but pray when the sun is shining. Pray when you don't have a dime to your name and pray when your bank account is full. Pray when your family is in turmoil, but pray when your family's at peace. Pray when you feel like it. Pray when you don't feel like it. And hey, pray until you feel like it sometimes. Pray always. Make it a lifestyle. That's warfare prayer. It's not just praying when you get in a foxhole. Number two, warfare prayer covers everything. Praying always, he said, watch, with all prayer and supplication. What is supplication? It's making requests to God. It's asking God for something. But he also says prayer and supplication. Watch here. Prayer and supplication are connected, but they're not synonymous. Prayer includes supplication, but prayer is more than supplication. That's why Paul wrote it this way, prayer and supplication. Because our prayer shouldn't just be supplication. Warfare prayer isn't prayer that just asks God to bail them out of something. Warfare prayer isn't just when you ask God to fix something or change something in your life. And that makes sense. How does it make you feel when the only time somebody talks to you is when they want something? Yet that's how often we talk to God, isn't it? I can remember when I was first learning how to pray as an older teenager, I was taught to pray through the acts of prayer. You know the word A-C-T-S, and, and it was an acrostic, and, 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 and every letter stood for, for a word to teach you kind of what order you should pray in every day. And you would think that the top letter being A stood for ask. Ask God what you need, but it doesn't. You don't start your prayer that way. A means adoration, taken from the example of Jesus' prayer. Where he started, our Father which art in heaven, what did he say? Hallowed be thy name. In other words, I adore you, I worship you before I ask for anything. The C stands for confession. I'm going to get right with God before I ask him for anything. T stands for thanksgiving. Before I ask God for something else, I'm going to thank him for what I already have. And letter S is supplication. So Paul is saying this, before you just jump into asking God for things, stop for a moment and adore him. Stop for a moment and confess your sin. Stop for a moment and have a spirit of thanksgiving. And after you've done that, by all means, ask God to meet your needs. Did you hear me? It's okay to ask God to meet your needs. You should ask God to meet your needs. 
We have not because we ask not. He says, ask. And he says, seek. And he says, uh, uh, knock. And you should do all those things. And he promises that he will respond when you do. Now think about this. If prayer is an act of dependence upon God, then doesn't that mean that what you choose to pray about, what you choose to ask him about, are the things that you truly trust him for? And the things that you fail to pray about are the things you can handle on your own? Or you think you can? And isn't that in the midst of a spiritual battle exactly where Satan wants us? Only praying about the big things of our lives and, and kind of carrying the little things on our own? Weighed down in battle with anxiety and weighed down with worry and weighed down with discouragement. All because we don't pray about it, making us vulnerable to his attacks. You know, when I begin to think, why do we fail to supplicate, if that's a word? Why do we fail to, 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 to pray and ask God for things sometimes? I thought maybe for some, it's because they were just raised to not come across as needy people. It's a pretty good way to raise your kids, by the way. We need less needy people in the world today who can help themselves. Somebody say amen. I have the Christmas spirit and we should give. But we also should work hard. Anyway, we want to make sure that in, in teaching our kids that we don't condition them to not talk to God about what they need. And I think some people have been taught to pull themselves up by the bootstraps, make it happen on their own and don't burden people. And so they take that into their relationship with God. But maybe, maybe we don't pray because we've been praying about something for a really long time and God seems silent about it. And God hasn't answered on our timetable. And so we just flat get discouraged. And for us, prayer doesn't work. So we stopped. Or, or maybe we started praying about certain situations, but, but, but we only pray about the crisis. We only pray about the huge tr troubles, not, not, not the daily struggles. And, and here's, here's, here's the danger with that. When we only supplicate about the big things in life, we tend to carry around the little things with us that we are never meant to carry. One little thing's okay, but a hundred little things is heavier than one big thing. And Christians are walking around, they're coming to church and out, they're going to their home and out, they're going to work and out, carrying things that they should have left at the feet of Jesus. You heard the song, leave it there, take your burdens to the Lord and leave it there. Well, a lot of times we're good at taking our burdens to the Lord, we're just not good at leaving them there. We, we, we say, God, can you help us? We pick the burden up and carry it ourselves. Maybe this is why the songwriter wrote, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry. What's the next word? Everything to God in prayer. Why? Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. I, I take a lot of theology from this song because I don't like pain. And so my line of thinking is this. If I don't like pain, why invite more pain in my life because of my prayerlessness? Why endure more restless nights and forfeit peace because I'm unwilling to pray every morning? It just doesn't make sense, does it? That's why Paul says prayer and supplication. It covers everything. He gives a third one. It never stops. It covers everything, but it is spirit directed. Look at verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication. He says in the spirit. The pattern of biblical prayer is this. We pray to God the Father. 
Then we pray in the name of God the Son. Then we pray with the help of God the Spirit. What does it mean, though? When he says pray, do all these things as you pray in the Spirit. Well, generally it means be directed by the Spirit. Let the Spirit be involved. But more specifically, here's what it means. Three things. The Holy Spirit, number one, tells us what we ought to pray for. Now, now, now if, if our prayer does not involve the Holy Spirit, it is left to our own reasoning and our own intuition. When we involve the Holy Spirit in our prayer time, it's taken to a whole new level. Now, now, now I'm an organized prayer. I don't just during at least my, my, my intentional private time with the Lord every day, when I go into the prayer closet, I'm, I'm not unorganized. If I'm unorganized, I get distracted. Do I have a witness? And so I've got to have a list, and I have a detailed list. And, and I follow that list every single day. You know what? If I'm not careful, that'll become just, just routine to me. And I'll just pray through my list, and I'll forget that the Holy Spirit wants to be there with me. He wants to be directing me. He wants to be leading me. But how sweet it is sometimes when I'm praying in the Spirit and the Holy Spirit begins to nudge on my heart some things to pray for that were nowhere on my list. You know, we miss out on so much because we don't include the Holy Spirit. But, but number two, the Holy Spirit prays for us. He doesn't just tell us what we ought to pray for. Oftentimes, He actually does the praying. You know where I get that? Romans 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groaning, which cannot be uttered. Now, I think some have abused that verse. I think some have interpreted those groanings as, as Christians praying in some unknown spiritual prayer language. I believe the idea here is it's not that there are times when we enter into this language to God that we've never learned before. But rather, when we get into such times of such difficulty, it says infirmities at the beginning of the verse. When we get into those infirmities and our pain is so deep and it's so unbearable that we don't know how to articulate it to God in heaven. We don't know how to say it. We know what our heart is saying, but we don't know how to articulate it with our mouth. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in. That's where the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. That's where the Holy Spirit prays for us. It's like when you, you see somebody that, that steps up in, in the middle of a funeral and they want to give the eulogy and, and it's, it's of somebody they love dearly and, and they start and they have every intention to finish but they can't finish because they can't articulate what's on their heart. They're emotionally overcome. Have you ever seen that before? And so often what happens is the preacher will step up and finish for them. Or a family member will step up and read the rest of the eulogy for them. What are they doing? They're interceding. They're articulating with their mouth what their loved one can only articulate in their heart. And that's what the Holy Spirit does for us in prayer. When we are so grieving and so hurt and so depressed and so angry that all we can do is feel in our heart but we can't articulate with our mouth. Guess what? The Holy Spirit is so gracious and so generous and so sweet that He takes what we can't say and He says it for us. The Holy Spirit, number three, provides the energy to pray. I mean, let's face it, there are days when, 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 when either the physical or emotional or spiritual energy just isn't there to pray. Am I the only one? And, and, and it's not always because we're backslidden, is it? You know why, why sometimes we have no energy to pray? 
Because Satan is fighting us. And he is trying to hinder our prayer life. He knows how powerful it is. It is the, it is the Christian's secret weapon. But the Holy Spirit in those moments can give you divine energy to pray when you don't feel like praying. He can give you energy to pray when you're sick and, and when you're depressed. And even after you've been praying for the same thing, but it's going unanswered. He can give you to pray, uh, energy to pray when you're backslidden. He can give you energy to walk an aisle and pray at an altar, even though you're uncomfortable in this setting. The Holy Spirit pushes you into prayer. And we need the energy of the Holy Spirit, don't we? Pray in the Spirit. Let me give you one more. Warfare prayer intercedes for others. We've learned that warfare prayer never stops. It covers everything. It's directed by the Spirit and it intercedes for others. Can I be real honest with you as your pastor real quick? Can I have permission? Can I get a few more amens today? All right. You live up to what you just said then. The idea of intercession is, is praying for the needs of other people. So, so watch. It's our duty to not only make ourselves strong through prayer, but to make others strong through prayer. Did you notice that, that, that when Paul was laying out the different pieces of armor, I talked to my class about this this morning, he never talked about a piece of armor that covers a soldier's back. Did you notice that? That's because Roman soldiers did not wear back armor. That's because they fought in legions. They fought in big groups. They fought in close proximity to each other. And the soldier always knew that he could count on a fellow soldier to have his back. And that's what intercessory prayer is all about in the middle of spiritual warfare. It's the back armor for your fellow Christian. Intercessory prayer is how you get the back of your brother in Christ. It's how you get the back of your sister in Christ. Yet what we find among many Christians is not that they have each other's backs. They're talking behind each other's backs. They're attacking each other's backs. It seems as though the Christian army is the only army in all of the world that shoots and kills its own. That shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. You and I, church, we should have each other's backs by praying for one another, by interceding for one another. Now, what does that look like? Paul gives us three things. He says, pray for other believers. Verse 18 at the end, it says, with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. What does saints mean? It doesn't mean perfect ones. That's, what we use, that's how we use it today. In that day, it just meant saved ones. It was a way of Paul saying this, pray for your fellow soldiers. Pray for those you go to church with. Pray for other believers. Can I ask you a question and application? Do you pray for people you go to church with? I saw on Facebook, I was blessed today, uh, Mindy Slimmer, one of our church members, began a, a process of personal prayer time where she has these three by five note cards. And so I hope you don't mind. I zoomed in to look at your note cards. You put them out there, so I did it. And if you put anything on Facebook, that means I can look as close as I want. And I'm not nosy. And so I looked and, and, and most of, of those note cards was intercessory prayer. It was prayer for other believers. Do you find that, that, that you have other believers? Now, now, let's just say outside of your family. I know, you, I know you pray for them, but do you pray for those you go to church with? Do you have my back in prayer? Do I have your back in prayer? I do. 
God knows I do. I'll show you my prayer list on my phone. Your name's on it if you're a member of Fellowship Baptist Church. I have your back in intercessory prayer. Do you have the back of the soldiers you go to Sunday school with? Fellowship Bible class, do you have their back? This morning, we, 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 we took about 12 minutes, 10 to 12 minutes as we do every Sunday morning in our synergy class to fill out that prayer list. Every blank, Brother Mike, was filled out. Every blank of people that needed prayer. People in our church, people related to those in our class. I wonder how, much of my, how many people in my class will take this and pray through it throughout the week. I wonder how many get on the floorboard of a car are stuck in the trash, are in the leaf of a Bible that you never look at. You see, this is very important. This is why we, we, our church is to the size where, where we, we can't just have a corporate prayer list. We used to do that back in the day. You remember that, old timers? I mean, we had a, a, a five by seven sheet, front and back. Well, now it would be a book. We can't do that. That's why we have fellowship Bible classes, which, by the way, start at 945. You should get enrolled in one. And, and, and it breaks our, our church down into smaller groups where, where then I hope the leaders are taking time to take prayer requests. And now you do have a prayer list. Now you can pray for the saints that you go to church with. Paul continues and says intercessory prayer includes praying for your spiritual leaders. Look at the first three words of verse 19. He says, don't just pray for all saints. He says this, and for me. Who's Paul? Well, Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Paul planted a number of thriving churches. Paul made, made disciples of literally thousands of lost souls. Paul mentored some of the most influential young men in the New Testament to be pastors. And it's this guy, this spiritual leader, this spiritual giant that was asking for prayer. Here's the point. If someone as spiritual as the Apostle Paul needed the church's prayer, your pastor definitely needs the church's prayer. And your, your pastoral staff definitely need the church's prayer. And your deacons need the church's prayer. Just real quick, just so everybody knows, I want all the pastoral staff and all the deacons to stand to your feet. If you're in here, some, some probably aren't in here, but I want you to stand to your feet so everybody can put an, put an eye to a name here. All right, we've got one, two, three, four of our deacons. And uh, Brother Monty would normally be in here if he's not in here. Oh, there he is right there. So we got five and six of our deacons. Brother Mike Dominguez is in Florida suffering for Jesus, so you pray for him today. <laughs> Brother Mike, Brother Tanner, uh, Brother Sid, our pastoral staff, Brother Eli, uh, back there who serves on staff as well. Listen, these men, their wives, their families, you need to pray for them. They, they make up the offices in the church of, uh, uh, of the spiritual leaders that, that are to equip you to do ministry and that are to feed your soul. And, and, and I meet with these deacons every Sunday morning at nine o'clock and we have our own prayer list where we're identifying needs in the church and we're praying for people in the hospital. We're praying for sick people. And we're praying for hurting marriages and, and we're for praying for people that are prospective church members and, and we're praying for our ministry at large. Listen, we need your prayer. They have your back. I have your back. Do you have theirs? Please be seated, guys. Thank you. You know why I'm passionate about that? Because here's where most of God's people go wrong in intercessory prayer. Please don't miss this statement. Satan does this. He gets us to pray for the people who are obviously weak. But he also gets us to neglect to pray for people who are apparently strong. 
I'm going to say it again. I hope I get a little more than a, a, a holy grunt here because it's true. This is a tendency. The devil gets us to pray for the people who are obviously weak. While at the same time, neglecting to pray for people who are apparently strong. And then we watch strong people fall and we ask ourselves this. How did that happen? How did that strong pastor fall? How did that strong deacon fall? How did that strong staff member fall? How did that strong church compromise? How did that strong marriage crumble? And, and we wonder how that happens. It happens because the devil doesn't just attack us in our areas of weakness. He attacks us in our areas of strength. Jesus himself says that if the devil can bind the strong man, he can spoil the house. And the devil has become a master at binding strong men. Abraham was called the greatest man of faith, but yet he went down to Egypt, lied about his wife being his sister, and then had sex with his handmaid. Moses is called the meekest man on the earth, but missed the promised land because he couldn't control his temper. Samson was the strongest man physically in the Bible, but died as a blind prisoner because he couldn't keep his eyes off the women. Solomon is called the wisest man in the world but gave himself to worldly pleasures and worldly success. And at the end of his life, wrote a book on why his life was such a waste. I'm trying to tell you, strong people fall. We're just apparently strong. That's it. Apparently strong. I'm here to tell you, I'm weak. I am made of flesh. The devil is attacking me. Every day, the devil is attacking these men and their wives. Every single day. Would you please have our back in prayer? Would you please pray for us? If Paul could ask for prayer, I feel okay asking for prayer. Because I need it a lot more than he did. Let me give you one more. You pray for the advancement of the gospel. Verse 19 says that I may open my mouth boldly. To make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am ambassador in bonds. That therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. He asked for two things in regards to the gospel. Utterance and boldness. They both work together. Let me hasten to a close. Watch me. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying I'm an ambassador. But I'm in bonds. In other words, I'm an ambassador of the gospel. I'm a missionary. I go from town to town, city to city, starting churches. Then I train men to pastor those churches and I go and start another one. And because of that, I'm doing that, because I'm preaching the gospel, I'm, I'm shackled up right now. I, 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 I'm chained up right now. I'm imprisoned right now because I'm preaching the gospel. And that's exactly why he says, I need boldness because I guarantee the devil's whisper in his ear. Hey, Paul, all the, all the preaching gospel has got you to this point so far is chains. All it's got you is limited freedom. All it's got you is beating. All it's done is hinder you. You might as well stop. Now, sometimes we think the Apostle Paul was Superman. He wouldn't be asking for boldness if he, if he wasn't struggling with boldness. I guarantee you that, that, that there was part of him that anticipated getting out of house arrest or getting out of imprisonment. And you knew, he, you knew that God was impressing upon him a place to go. A city to go, a people to tell the gospel to. But in, in one side of his ear, the Holy Spirit saying, you got this and I got you. In the other side of his ear, Satan is saying, you better stop. You try it one more time, you're going to get killed. Try it one more time, you're going to get stoned. Try it one more time, you're going to get beat with rods. And that's exactly where the devil wants to get those that share the gospel and preach the gospel. Believing like it's, it doesn't work. Believing like it's not effective. Discouraged. 
He wants to stop the gospel. You know why? Because the gospel thwarts his attacks. The gospel is more powerful than his fiery darts. Sometimes the devil does this by, by attacking the preacher himself. Attacking the, ministry, the missionary himself. He, he discourages the missionary. He tempts the missionary. He distracts the missionary. He plagues the missionary with an illness or tragedy. Anything he can do to muzzle the preacher of the gospel, he'll do. Sometimes he'll attack the mission organization or, 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 or the mission work or the church at large. You know how he'll do that? Like in the country of China, we support a couple of missionaries and the devil orchestrates sometimes a, a government shutdown of those ministries that have been meeting in secret for years undetected. You better believe the devil's in the midst of that. You know how I know that? Because he has a hierarchy of angels, of demons that work for him. He's not just in liberal Kansas. He's not just in the United States. He is so powerful, so strategic that he has massed an army of demons all around the world with one agenda. Stop the gospel. And he'll shut down churches. Sometimes he'll stir up strife among believers, cause a church split so as to limit their gospel effectiveness. Sometimes he'll provoke church members to withhold their giving, especially during Christmas time. You don't need to give to missions. You can make that up later so it slows down the gospel from progressing. You understand missionaries can't stay on the field and preach the gospel. They don't have their bills paid. As far as I know, living in China ain't free. Germany ain't free. New Zealand, where we have a missionary, is not free. God's people have to give. The devil will do anything he can to stop the gospel. Pray. Pray, have a spot on your prayer list for the advancement of the gospel. Church member, think outside of just these four walls. There are missionaries spread across the world that are counting on our prayers, not just our money. Pray for them. Lift them up in prayer. I think my burden is just to get you to realize that, man, you're in a battle. Gospel's being attacked. We have a real enemy. And we can't run. Are you listening? We can't run. I said last week, we can't wrap ourselves in spiritual bubble wrap. We got to stand strong in the strength of the Lord. That means you got to equip yourself with the armor of God. But secondly, you got to dedicate yourself to prayer. And I'm talking about warfare prayer. Do we have any prayer warriors? in this place today. Any prayer warriors? I'm not asking you if you know how to pray fancy prayers. I'm not asking you if you have a prayer list that's 10 pages long. I'm not asking you if you pray for 45 minutes a day. It has nothing to do with those human stats. I'm asking, do you go to war on your knees every day? Do you go to war for your kids? Do you go to war for your grandkids? Do you go to war for your spouse? Do you go to war for your preacher? Do you go to war for your church? Do you go to war for the gospel? Are you a prayer warrior? Warfare prayer, number one, never stops. Have you stopped praying? Or do you only pray during a crisis? Warfare prayer covers everything. How good are you at taking everything to God in prayer and leaving it there? How much needless pain are you bearing today? How much peace are you forfeiting because you won't pray about it? Warfare prayers directed by the Spirit. Are you being energized by the Holy Spirit? 
Warfare prayer intercedes for others. Are you praying for the saints? Do you got your church members back? Are you praying for your spiritual leaders? Are you praying for the advancement of the gospel? I hope you caught my burden today. If you want to stand in power, you must first kneel in prayer. Because real prayer warriors fight on their knees. We need divine equipment and we need divine energy. So we're going to take time to do that today. As we do every service, we're going to take time to fight some battles on our knees. Some of you have personal battles. I want to invite you to come pray about those today. Some of you know people that you love dearly that you need to intercede for today. Some of you just need to simply say, God, I'm sorry for not praying. I, I haven't prayed faithfully in weeks or months. And God, help me to be a prayer warrior. Certainly on a message that is about prayer, we should take some time to pray. Would you stand to your feet, every head bowed?